Greetings and welcome to Converging Streams, Interfaith Fellowship in Our Modern World, a production of the Muncie Interfaith Fellowship. This installment, Give Peace a Chance, contains an excerpt from a talk at the 2012 Conference on World Affairs in Boulder, Colorado. Please welcome Reverend George Wolfe. I thought I would talk about the theme, Give Peace a Chance, uh, from the level of the individual. Um, we we'll start from there because uh, gaining peace within yourself, removing conflict from within yourself, is where we really all need to start. And uh, I am a trained mediator, and so I've had some experience dealing with people who are in conflict, and I've had, and sometimes that person uh, is me. Uh, I'm not immune from conflict any more than anybody else. Um, I recently published a book on spirituality and nonviolence, and I, I make the statement that a, a, a world without war is not a world without conflict. It's a world where we learn to deal with the conflict in nonviolent ways. Uh, so I'm very excited, actually, about all the activism uh, that's been going on uh, more and more intensely a lot of us are bothered by that because sometimes the activism uh, takes positions that we disagree with. But that's really a good sign. It's a sign that uh, the, the feelings uh, are being vented and being expressed. And, and we know where we stand, where we stand in terms of our position and where the other people stand and where their position. And that makes us much better informed uh, in terms of uh, trying to reconcile. Uh, so but we do have to understand that uh, it's best to express our feelings and our positions in ways that are civil. Um, the first recommendation I always make when you're in conflict is to not act on your anger. Anger or revenge is a, a negative energy, and it's like putting blinders on yourself when you're in that state of anger. You don't see the whole picture. You don't see the other person's perspective. Uh, you aren't sensitive to picking up on, on, on those kind of feelings. Uh, but the negative energy actually is a good thing. Uh, we have to realize that we're in conflict. You know, we can look at conflict as something negative, or we can look at it as an opportunity. And looking at it as an opportunity is where we really want, want to be, want to get. But we're in, when we're engrossed in that kind of negative energy, uh, most likely if we act on it, we're going to make things worse. You see this happening in politics all the time. You know, politicians speak too soon out of anger, and then a couple of days later they have to apologize for what they said and so forth, and they're just, they're just weakening their position by act, acting from a position of anger. And that's the same way it would be in our, in our individual situations. Um, however, when I say don't act on your anger, I do, not mean don't re- I do not mean to repress your anger. I do not mean that we deny our angry feelings. Uh, they, they need to be dealt with within us. And so we need to enter a state of deep inner reflection where we can allow ourselves to reflect on the anger and gain insights into what's bringing, about, bringing forth the anger. That's very much like a, a, a type of meditation, uh, that deep inner reflection, allowing ourselves to live with and, 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 and admit uh, that we have that anger. Mahatma Gandhi called this process uh, tapasya, Pasya was translated as meaning conserve your anger. 
conserve it. That energy, that negative energy, is really a power that's going to turn into something good. If we allow ourselves to go through that state of inner reflection, the anger, the negative energy of the anger will be transformed into a positive energy. And then an epiphany will come to us, a realization, which generally uh, results in a, a solution which we see is really beneficial for both sides. We stop thinking dualistically, us against them, and we begin to start thinking more holistically to embrace uh, the problem and think about the problem in a deeper level. Uh, then, once you've uh, had that epiphany and that anger has transformed itself into a positive uh, possibility, then we need to seek advice. You know, we need to get together with people who are, are somewhat uh, removed from the conflict and, and, and get, a, get advice. And then finally, we need to act then on the positive energy, allow that positive energy to, be, to, to come forth. And when we do that, we will usually be perceived as being a part of the solution and not a part of the problem. Being a part of the solution, not a part of the problem. Sometimes, though, uh, that con- the conflict sustains itself in such a way that we really need to make people aware of the injustice that has been done. Uh, now, that injustice, we first start thinking that injustice has been done to us. But that's when we're in that kind of dualistic state. Uh, the injustice really is probably on both sides. And so we need to make that injustice visible. And uh, sometimes it's necessary to allow ourselves to become a victim, a, 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 an open, visible victim of the injustice in order to make it visible. And this is what uh, uh, Mahatma Gandhi called satyagraha. Uh, Rosa Parks, you all know who she was, she uh, sat on the bus, refused to give up her seat, was arrested and taken to jail. In doing so, she was performing an act of satyagraha. That is, she was making herself a public and open victim of the injustice so that the injustice could become visible. Now, the problem is, when, it, when we take this on, on a personal level, we have time to do this, but when we take it to the political level, very often there are many political pressures that make it difficult for political leaders uh, to do this. Uh, political pressures make it difficult for political leaders to think thoughtfully, take time. If they do, they're criticized for not acting soon enough. If they're thoughtful, they're often criticized for uh, uh, not being... Not being um, Hardline enough, so you get these pressures to be uh, to be hardline to be. Uh, I guess to sum it up, uh, Bill Clinton was on David Letterman one night. Uh, David Letterman graduated from Ball State. I don't know if you know that, but that's <laughs> why so I always watch the show. But uh, he was on David Letterman. He said, uh, he said the American people would like a president. Would rather have a president that's uh, wrong and strong, rather than right and weak. Wrong and strong, rather than right and weak. That's what, he's, that's what Bill Clinton said. And I can see that playing out, you know. So there are all these pressures uh, the, on political leaders to, to really inhibit this. Now, you, you saw that recently in, uh, when, when uh, there was all this talk about why we should bomb Iran. And uh, Netanyahu from Israel came over and was, was trying to assert the importance of striking against Iran immediately. And there are other people in the United States uh, in uh, uh, political parties that were uh, taking the same position um, and presenting it to Obama. Unfortunately, he has waited. Um, but the political pressures are there, as you can see, uh, to make uh, to make a uh, situation worse. 
Um, I wonder, though, um, a quick question for the politicians and for President Obama would be, did you make that decision uh, for moral reasons? Or did you make it because we are such economic straits that to go to war now would uh, not be economically feasible? In other words, are there economic motivations for making that decision, or were they moral? Back in uh, 2002, 2004, when we had a surplus, uh, George W. Bush chose to use that surplus to go to a war. So I'm wondering how much e economics has influenced it uh, rather than uh, what would be morally uh, correct. Uh, or So those are some questions which you, I'm sure you'll have some opinions on. <laughs> and finally, let me, uh, let me wrap my section up by saying um, um, Nelson Mandela, I'm glad that Sylvester is here because we have, uh, he, he's worked in South Africa and so forth. Um, uh, it's always been said that Nelson Mandela uh, was a master at using soft power as opposed to hard power. You call hard power, uh, that is coercion, getting someone to do what you want to do through coercion and pressure. Whereas soft power is getting, getting, winning approval, getting them to do what you'd like them to do um, using persuasion and showing the, uh, the benefits, the, the advantages to their side of, uh, of, uh, of your decisions. Uh, so we need to be masters in our personal life and more in the uh, community and social life of soft power rather than hard power. What's being described here <clears throat> is what's called structural violence. Uh, we have three, we have a broader definition of violence in peace education. Of course, there's physical violence. That's somewhat self-explanatory. There's also psychological violence, which is the violence of intimidation, uh, for example, bullying, uh, threats. Um, then there's also uh, structural violence. And structural violence is the violence of oppression. It's the violence where a structure either an economic structure, educational structure, political structure, religious structure, is imposed on a group of people in such a way that it disenfranchises a certain group of people and uh, leaves them in a state of oppression. And lack of education, lack of educational opportunity, lack of economic <clears throat> opportunity, employment opportunity, and so forth, is a, a, a serious form of structural violence. And we see it. Uh, uh, all around in the developing world. Uh, there are, uh, finally, are, are in Afghanistan, for example, there's a lot of efforts to, to deal with that, mostly from uh, the private sector. There are organizations that are uh, uh, on a grassroots level building schools in Afghanistan uh, so that the, so women can be, uh, ch ch girls and women can be educated, health clinics and so forth. Uh, Indiana University, has a teacher, Afghan teacher education program that they've, they've established. And those are some examples from a grassroots level. Um, but uh, 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 this is where I think when it comes to empowerment, yes, we need to uh, enable the country to empower themselves from within and individuals to empower themselves within. Extremely important. But developing countries, I think, can, can help a lot more than they have been. Uh, unfortunately, the developing countries, in the United States, uh, England, and so forth, um, we tend to define our interests <clears throat> based on our defense uh, position, our corporate interests, or our access to natural resources. So if a country doesn't have that, 
they fall off our radar. Uh, look at where Al-Qaeda uh, flourished. Uh, first Afghanistan, then Yemen, two of the poorest countries, you see. So we need to, it's, it should be in the interest of every developed country to uh, 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 approach this whole phenomenon of structural violence and redefine how we, uh, uh, how we define our, our interests, uh, not based on defensive, defense postures or economic postures, but uh, in a much more broader humanitarian way. for listening to Converging Streams, Interfaith Fellowship in Our Modern World. Our program is a production of the Muncie Interfaith Fellowship and is supported by our community. We thank you, our listeners and followers, for your support. connect with Converging Streams, including listening to our entire catalog of past programs, getting our latest new content, and making your own contribution to this program, visit our website, convergingstreams.org. Converging Streams is produced by Tony Piazza and George Wolfe. Thank you for listening and have a pleasant week. <laughs>